2: Hey, it's the Nerdist Podcast, episode number 304. Uh, New stuff happening over at the Nerdist YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Nerdist. It's uh, Neil Patrick Harris' show, Neil's Puppet Dreams. We have a few more uh, new episodes left of this season, so go watch it now. Then click subscribe, because uh, I'm asking you to, (laughs) because I'm your friend, right? Right? You'd click a digital button for me, wouldn't you? What? Fuck me! Alright, I would like to thank... Well, maybe I shouldn't go into the sponsorship segment after saying fuck me. Um, So, just for a second. Puppy smell and chocolate. And I'd like to thank Stamps.com for sponsoring this episode of Nerdist Podcast. Think about how much time you've wasted at the post office. Just shut your eyes. Not if you're driving, but shut your eyes. And just think... All that time you could just get it back. Doing what? I don't know. It's going on Amazon to buy exercise things you might not use or taking a deep dive down Wikipedia, the Star Wars wiki, who knows what you could have done, what you could have invented. With all the time you wasted at the post office, don't do it anymore. Stamps.com is the better way to get postage. You just use what you already have, your computer, your printer. And then you don't have to drive anywhere. You print out exactly the postage you need. Your mail carrier will come and pick it up from your place. And that's it. It's done. And you look professional, which is cool. Even if you're sending personal stuff, it makes you seem better than your friends. And isn't that what we all want? So, right now, there's a special offer. Use the promo code NERDIST. Go to stamps.com. You're going to click on the radio microphone at the top of the page and type in NERDIST. You'll get a $110 bonus offer, which includes a digital scale up to $55 of free postage. That's stamps.com and enter the promo code NERDIST. And now, this very episode you're about to consume orally. It is uh, Timothy Oliphant, who uh, has been in a lot of stuff that I've really liked a lot. Justified's great. Fucking Deadwood, they should have just called it Fucking Deadwood, um, and uh, a, a ton of other stuff, that a lot of which we cover uh, in the podcast, but uh, I learned some stuff about him that I didn't know before, which uh, kind of blew my mind, which I'm not going to spoil now, because then why would you listen to it? So, listen, uh, it comes at some point in the podcast, between the beginning and the end, I'm not going to tell you, so you don't jump to it. I want to make you go through the process. I know I'm such a dictator, uh, but uh, this is really, really fun. I would like to remind you that Justified premieres uh, January 8th. It'll be on FX Tuesdays at 10 p.m., so watch that show because it's fucking awesome. And uh, my pal uh, Walton Goggins is also on that show, who I should also get on this podcast as well. All right, I'll take care of that behind the scenes. Here we go, the Nerdist Podcast episode number 304 with Timothy Oliphant
0: now entering nerdist.com
2: and we're recording that's it
3: Thanks for coming. <laughs> wow,
4: we're in.
2: That's it, man. We're
4: having, that's fantastic.
2: Yeah, we're in. So these microphones, you sort of have to almost put your mouth on them. Um, they're just... I'm sure you...
3: And speak into it. <laughs> you also have to do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity
4: to, to put my mouth on it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> have you been doing... Have you have you had to do a lot of radio tours? Are you about to start doing that?
4: What's the uh, What's the option on the earphones? You don't have to have. I them. can't stand
2: them. Don't put them on. You
4: like you enjoy that? I
2: do because I can I can hear it. I can just make sure the levels are okay. And also very narcissistic. It's all about the levels. Yeah.
3: <laughs> also very so, like oh
2: oh. oh. oh I, just, uh-huh. I just love my buttery yeah. voice. Yeah. One time I
3: walked in here and it was just him by himself going ooh. Yeah.
2: No, I'm sitting Jack Barry. And you were sitting on a bass amp. <laughs> I was sitting on a bass amp. Yeah. yeah. Like in Private Parts. Yes. <laughs> Is that what you were
3: referencing it's the those, Howard yeah. Stern movie? Yeah.
2: Very clever. Mm, thank you. Uh, Matt Myra could not be here because he is hosting the very last attack of the show today. Oh, I uh, know G four is going away. But uh, Tim, it is an honor to I meet mean. you.
4: is a quick segue from something so tragic. Oh yeah, his show's going
2: away. A lot of people out of work at Christmas time. But Tim, let's talk about yeah. Deadwood. Uh, <laughs> all right,
4: another show that's no longer
1: with us.
2: <laughs> oh man, can I just say that first of all, clearly and I'm sure people bug you about this show all the time, so I apologize for being typical in this way, but
1: Mm-mm.
2: one of the best shows on television ever, and I I held off watching the very last episode for a year. Really? Because I didn't want it to be over, oh, and I sweet. and I knew that once I watched it, I was going to be upset because I wasn't going to get any Resolution on it, mm. so I, I held it for same reason. Year. I'm
4: not gonna watch Attack of the Show today. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Is that the only reason?
4: <laughs> <laughs> that and the same reason I didn't watch any of the others. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's terrible. That's not right. Well, you, know, you know, I was that, on that
1: show, <laughs> uh,
2: Attack of the Show. It was, uh, you, d- you didn't watch that episode either, did
4: you? Uh, no, but I was there, I was very yeah. present, and I remember it, uh, <laughs> yeah. f- uh fondly. Right, that's the one with the girl who's um, who's everywhere. Uh, yeah, she left. Olivia. Yeah, she She's she fantastic. And I remember <laughs> thinking when I went on that show, first I remember thinking, "What the fuck am I doing here?" And what is this? Not not in a high pretentious way. I just didn't know what it was. Yeah. And then I remember sitting down with this girl thinking. Gosh, she's fantastic! What is she doing here? She should be elsewhere. She was thinking she, the same thing. Yeah, she's uh, <laughs> <by the> way, <laughs> that's. She's had her eye on the prize, didn't she? Had her eye on the prize. Well, God bless her. She should. She yeah, got it. She's and very talented. Yeah,
2: Attack of the Show is interesting for, especially if you're used to doing uh, a lot of press, a lot of a lot of you know like cable interviews or local shows and. Yeah. It, there's all, you know, which you, I'm not. You don't do a lot of those.
4: No, I mean, but anyway, continue. Well, I'm saying, like, when I, like, you know, especially,
2: like, when I'm traveling on the road and I'm doing Santa, but and you go do, like, their morning TV show, there's always a dynamic that you're immediately dropped into and yes. you're trying to suss out, like, okay, that's the guy who wears the crazy ties. That guy takes his job too seriously. Mm, there's yeah. the weather girl that wants to be an anchor. Like, there's yeah. always some sort of a weird. You just feel like you're in someone's house and you don't know their family. No, and it, and it yeah. happens
4: It happens in an instant, right? Because you get a sense of it's about to happen, you know, like be off camera, whatever that is. Yeah, It's like talking to morning radio. Exactly. You get on the phone and they say, hey, how are you doing? It's good. to uh, appreciate you doing this. And we're a big fan. Whatever they say. And then they're like, you ready? Here we go. And they're
1: like, hey, we're sitting down <laughs> here with Timothy Ollivin. Yeah. Tell
2: me, Jennifer
3: Garner, nice tits. Yeah. <laughs> and exactly. you're,
1: Try not you're not to swear. Try not to swear. You're
4: like, what happened? Like, what, what just happened? <laughs> How did was you just pers- go to that? Hey. Where was
3: the personable guy I was
2: just talking to you? Where did he go? Yeah. yeah. Hey, I got to know. Uh, did you fuck Ian McShane? Yeah. What are
3: we talking about?
2: <laughs>
4: exactly. It just and, goes right to that.
2: And it's a million inside jokes that you don't get. And you're like, no. Yeah, that's like a uh, little dickhead over there. We sent them okay. over with a case of Keystone. And, and like, wing, 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 wing,
4: And, wing, wing, wing. Wing. and you're like, wow, you're like, wow did somebody, we won yeah. something. What <laughs> the fuck is happening? He's <laughs> going to Hawaii? Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah,
4: They're all nuts, though, And 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 TV, radio, it's all the same. It all kind of just throws me every time. It doesn't matter how many times. You just, I always, I've never had that. Not had the feeling of what the fuck am I doing here? I mean, honestly, every everyone I think to myself, this is
3: yeah, well, it's because I gotta be
2: a better way, yeah. It's like
3: you have the feeling, it's like, do I even care enough about (laughs) this?
2: Because there's a lot of it makes you feel like, and it's just a function of they have to produce a television thing every or radio thing every day, it's usually live, they are they have to fill time, and so you just feel like. I'm a prop that is killing five minutes of your show. Yeah. You you know, like there's not, there's, there's very little humanity in any of it. And you just feel like, what? I don't, I'm. Yeah. Why don't you just pull pull out a prop box? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
4: It's fantastic.
2: But from that part, like it is. America
4: can't get enough of it. They (laughs) fucking love it. (laughs) can't get enough of it. And I love being part of the problem.
2: (laughs) I was doing a, (laughs) I did a. <laughs> sort of ties into Justify a little bit but uh I did the the Chelsea Chelsea show last night and one of tell the, me how
3: this po- goes into <laughs> one of the top one of, lately.
2: one of the yeah, yeah one of one of the topics that was on the panel was uh, there's a rise in hillbilly porn oh. because of shows like Honey Boo Boo and um the gun, the Duck Dynasty and Swamp People like America's so fascinated with hillbillies and rednecks right now that the that that theme has crossed over into porn and they're like hillbilly themed Porn. Uh, it does time to justify. <laughs> <A little bit. laughs> I just saw dollar signs.
4: I just saw. Wow,
2: ratings are going to be huge this do year. Do you ever think for a minute you're like, okay, look, I would never do this,
4: but I'm going to send Boo Boo's mom a mm. Christmas card. <laughs> but say if thank you.
2: But if if you and Walton Goggins yeah. and like if everyone like really great actors got together, you could make the best fucking porn in the history of cinema. And make a killing. No, you wouldn't make a killing. Because
3: no porn seems to make money. They just it goes online and everyone wow. just watches it there. You
2: know, I was in
4: until that. And exactly. then until you you brought oh, it you're down Girl so Next quick. Store. Also, can't uh, I just thought to myself, wait a minute, Chris is on to something. <laughs> and then you just crashed it.
3: And you can't do it in California because you have
4: to wear Walt a as, I was texting him, literally texting him, like, dude, listen <laughs> to this. <laughs> and then you said there's no money in it. And I said, like, ah, forget it. Never mind. And just forget it.
2: Uh... Yeah, well I I, I love Girl Next Door, by the way. I thought that was a really it's fun a great uh, That movie. was a really fun movie. Thank it, you.
3: Yeah, it's it's weird because I didn't like it was one of those movies where the ad campaign was completely different from what the movie actually was. Like I remember seeing it going thinking it was just like this kind of madcap, you know, guy oh, dates yeah, a porn yeah. star. And then um I went and saw I was working at a movie theater at the time, so I went and saw it. I was like, "This is an amazing. This is like really well done." Total the homage. Great. Total like, homage
2: to risky business. In, yeah, my, in my opinion, homage is a polite way of putting it.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but it was good. Yeah, I, I enjoyed being a part of that. I had a good time.
2: You've, uh, you've. Uh, I'm just gonna list off a bunch of other movies that I loved. You and Go, fucking awesome movie. Yeah,
4: John August. John
2: August, good guy. Doug Lyman. Doug Lyman, a, a little Melissa McCarthy cameo in that. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Before, uh, yeah, she way before. comes on
4: for like two minutes and steals the movie. I mean, she's amazingly funny in this little tiny bit. Yeah. Amazing.
3: Um, she's like one of the best scenes in, uh, This Is 40. She's what, like, has one scene and she just steals the movie.
2: She usually does that. Yeah. Wherever she is, you just, she's got that Will Ferrell thing where wherever she is on screen, you just kind of go, I just need yeah, to watch.
4: Explosively funny. I need to watch more of her.
2: Yeah. Um, You, when you sort of, uh, when you sort of look back at everything, that was
4: the end of the list. By the way, (laughs) it's just those four movies. I want to make sure I'm being clear. I didn't interrupt you from going on in the list. No, 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 no. There was just you start feeding them the movies.
3: (laughs) Well, there's also
2: also I've done at least
3: (laughs) fifteen. I could check the
4: IMDb page. I feel like there was a lot of them.
1: (laughs) No,
2: I think it was just those couple. I think it was just those have you done ones. other stuff?
4: It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the exactly. worst. It's amazing <laughs> that that's the list, and yet I've been working for a
2: long fucking time. I don't think so. <laughs> like you you know, say, like oh, yeah, God.
4: it's like professional baseball. <laughs> you, you hit you hit one, you know, two out of ten. You're still pretty good. No,
2: no. Listen, <laughs> honestly, like for, first of all, it's amazing to be able to work for an extended period of time in this business, and then to have like, you know, a, a, a bunch of good stuff is like. That to me is just like, how does that, that's so rare that that yeah. even, that that even happens. I mean, how do you, how many actors do you know that you're like, that guy's really good. Never really got a thing though. Just never thought of that. Ne- sure. Never really got a thing.
4: Although, you know, you're persistent. You stick around. You know, you, every time they've always, everyone's been in something where you're like that. If they've been around that long, they tend to have been in like, he was great in that thing. Yeah, You know? It's yeah. never it's you, like a currency, an amazing currency. When someone is just as long as they've been good, at and at one point been given that opportunity, then they work another four or five years.
3: No problem. Based off of that,
4: I think. I mean, I don't. I could be wrong, but I, I feel like, know, like on my experience on the show and justified, we have actors that. Come on, and you're like, this guy's great, and then you look at the list, and you're like, yeah, he was great in that, and he was great. Yeah, there's
2: yeah, Breaking Bad's the same way. They've been around.
3: They're they're usually
2: the yeah. something good. That's, that's happening. Really. That's happening with uh, the cable shows now. Is that cable shows are absorbing these fucking amazing, amazing. acts, like pulling in, uh, like um, uh, who's on season two of Justified, Margo, um, Margot Martindale, Margot Martindale. Yeah, she's amazing. Goddamn, you remember like in uh, in Thames? Tem. Yeah, of just the Alexander Payne directed thing, like it's you can't watch that and not sob because she's so fucking amazing <laughs> yeah. in it, yeah. and uh, and and Walton's great, and 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 then and then you look at uh, you look at like American Horror Story has got like Ian McShane and Jessica Lang and fucking uh, Sarah yeah. Paulson and all these really amazing actors, and it's, it's great. It's 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 like a golden age in yeah. cable television. Even
3: Breaking Bad's like that too, where it's like you're you know, you're watching these guys, and then you go, wait a minute. That guy was in Freejack and RoboCop 2, and you just yeah. uh, you never know realize is? they've just been working for
2: years. It's all the fucking. It's all the people that networks would go that everyone knows is amazing, but networks go, uh, they can't let's sell a show, and yeah. then so they they get passed over for these dumb network shows. And then cable goes, okay, we'll take the best actors uh, that are available today. Yeah,
4: yeah it was always. I remember hearing this years ago. There's you get your you get a good script, you get a good part. You're in a great spot because there's so many good, talented actors. There's just so many. You just... And... Cut. <laughs> that was a good show. This I just brought it down to nothing. Go podcast. back to your enthusiasm about whatever you know, we're talking about.
3: Do you, do you prefer working on a TV because it's like uh, you just kind of are set for a while with work? Or do you kind of miss sometimes the freelancy jumping from one movie to the next? Uh,
4: you know, I, it, look, it never gets as good as when you first get a job. And so, um, as much as you like, I love this part. I love, and it's not lost on me how, how good a gig this is. I do recognize that it's still never as good as when you first get the job. Yeah, And, um, so it goes a little bit both ways. So it becomes a job in a way. You know, the beauty, the reason this job is so good is it hasn't become that. I mean, it hasn't become that. And, um, it's still thrilling and and it's still um, a fun story to tell. I've kind of gotten away with something on this job because I've basically forced my way into the into the kitchen and, and been a part of you know the storytelling and that keeps it um, endlessly entertaining and that's challenging. great yeah so that that's been um, you know that's sort of what I've gotten away with on this one.
2: You get produce credits on that?
3: I
4: do,
2: yeah. Nice. I like what I like what you said before about that. It's not you had sort of alluded to the fact that it's um, people who've been around who managed to survive and, and stay and stay relevant. Because I think when you're a young performer, uh, young actor, comedian, whatever, you kind of have this idea in your head like, oh, I'm going to get that one job and then everything's going to change. And then you get a job and you think that's going to be it. And then that's not the thing. And then the next job and that's not the thing. And then you realize what I feel like I realize after a a while is like, no, it's the the body of work that tips it. It's the sum total of you have to do that thing like a hundred (laughs) times. before. Yeah,
4: one could argue you don't want that thing.
2: You don't want it right away. You don't.
4: No. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a night. I mean, you know, if you could just do the job, I guess that'd be lovely. But that kind of success, you know, pick up People Magazine, lots of shit comes with it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I think it's the, you know, like when someone gets famous really fast, like one job hits really big right away, there's not a foundation of work behind it. Yeah. And so the next thing that they do, it's just they're so set up for failure because if that next thing isn't amazing, everyone's like, fuck that guy, and then they just sort of tip it to I've
4: seen it. I mean, you know, I've, I've worked with, um, I mean, I was that person at, at, at one point. Um, I'd like to think I'm not anymore, but I've been, I've been on jobs where I'm with some young guy who's, um, you know, he's really like on the verge of being this huge star and hasn't a clue what he's doing. And it's really remarkable to watch. The, I mean, <laughs> I, I, the, the, you can see the... the He's just... You can feel underneath the, the excitement a sense of um, complete and utter confusion about what the fuck is happening. Yeah. And has no sense of how to handle it, how to behave, what to... What to try to do, you know, and in such a position of power and control and excitement and being the next thing, and honestly doesn't know, you know, uh, his ass from a hole in the ground on the set. And it's, you're like, wow, he's about to be the next big guy. Yeah. And you, you, the next 10 years just flash right in front of you where you're like, wow, he's done, (laughs) you know, and he's in rehab. I mean, five years, maybe. Yeah. Because he has no sense of <clears throat> what to do with all of this excitement. What yeah. would you
2: say to that guy? Like, if he said, "Tim, I feel like this thing is brewing, and I don't know what to do. What? How do I? How do I handle all this? Is there? Can? Is it even? Is it even possible in that situation? Would they even have the
3: foresight to say that?
2: But if they did, yeah. first I'd like, have
3: to
4: ask him to come out of his trailer
1: <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and, uh,
2: and say, uh,
4: you know, I. You know, I think in the end of the day it's what you were saying before, you 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 have to um you have to realize what's real and um and uh, I think in the end of the day you just have to ask yourself if, if do you do you even do you I mean it's all about the craft of you you're, My wife and I were talking about this last night, you know, you go to these premieres and you're hanging out with big shots and The craziness and all the drama underneath, and we're driving home. She goes, you know, sometimes I realize I'm talking to these people, and they have no idea that they're just doing a job.
2: (laughs) 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 You know what I mean? They're just not not caring anything. (laughs) They're just
4: working for a living. Yeah, you know, and they. I think that the level of uh, I think that gets lost in all all of it, oftentimes. Yeah, that you're just basically a, you know, more or less a carpenter and you either know what you're doing or you don't and if you don't know what you're doing uh, you know and it's just very there's very few other jobs where you, you can be really bad at your job and then and still shoot straight to the top <laughs>
2: and um and this <laughs> on is, every level on every level know. this
4: is one of them you know <laughs> um and i think that's, uh i think you know the best thing you can do is uh just make make a decision if you're going to try to be good at your job um because the other thing is as you can see is very hard to maintain Without destroying yourself, sure. I mean, you can maintain it to some degree, some level of success, but it's um, it's exhausting. I-, I imagine anyway.
2: And also, <clears throat> I, I feel like you don't have to play that game. I mean, it's not like you know. I, I don't see Matt Damon in Every People magazine. I don't see you in all the Us magazines. And it's not that. It, it's it's just because like those people that are in those magazines. I feel a lot of them sort of want that to happen. It like, does
3: seem like a choice.
2: It, it feels a little bit like a choice. Like if you're a person and your publicist calls and says, yeah, this person's going to go to Kitson and buy hats and then all the paparazzi yeah. show up. Like you don't have to be in all that tabloid shit. No, but if you, you don't have to make to. a
4: decision to have something else to offer. Yeah. And that's hard work.
2: I guess yeah. it is. I guess it is. I mean, I, I, I just... Uh, it, it, the, the the difficult part is that because of what we do, it it, it I think it's finding... A measurement system of success and because what we do is a public thing there's a certain degree of like oh i'm more successful if more people know who i am when i go out in pub and like and that sort of fucks with your uh yeah yeah because you're not- the you're the pro like you're the product you don't make a thing you make a you make a, this you know this um this thing that goes into the ether is the product.
3: Yeah, success isn't fame. Success is just working. Success and is being working. Good at yeah, what you and
2: people get you yeah. know they fall it's into It's really the hard.
4: Trail. I mean, I mean, it's honestly very difficult. If you have some sense of if you do a film and then you go out and sell that film and go to a premiere and you walk that red carpet and you have agents on all that stuff and everything's extremely important. Everything is like it has such a level of your everyday conversations with. Agents and everything—it's a everything's a big fucking deal. <laughs> <laughs> and then you walk the red carpet, and you're being asked these, you know, the flash bulbs, and the, it's a, it's a, it's a big fucking deal. And the next day is so thankless, yeah, <laughs> that it's hard not to go. Maybe I'll go shoplift or something, <laughs> something just to keep this up, yeah. This level of excitement.
3: Chase the dragons.
4: It's really hard not to think to yourself, you know. What, I, I, do I have to destroy something in my life in order to create that excitement again? Because this is not, this is. Bo- I mean, it's such a drug that you're coming off of. It's very difficult. <laughs> and then
2: also it. sort of weird when you know you you like I I I just boil it down to the the idea of like, okay, you know, you can walk a red carpet and people are screaming and then you get it, whatever, like, Oh, Tim, Hey, and then the next day it's like you said, but you know, you're just alone in your place taking a crap and you're just like, I don't, what happened? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what happened. Exactly.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Like even like uh, our friend, Howard Kramer is comic always, he talks about that a lot where it's like, he's like, you'll be at a show killing in front of like, you know, like 700 people and you're a God to them because you're just making them laugh. And then he's all, and then you go home and you have to hold your girlfriend's hair because she's puking because she got the stomach flu. <laughs> and
1: exactly. you're just there and you're just like, well, exactly. this
2: is a lot of fame here. Still waving to a fake crowd C- yes, while you yes. hold a, eh, everybody. Yeah. But I guess it is—it's it's a sort of a biological need for significance that everyone has, and that's like when you get a taste of that. I think there is—you know—you you have to you have to be strong enough, or at least just have the right mindset to be like, yeah, you know, that's fine, but. Because to a degree, it matters in the sense of if you want to keep working, unfortunately, <laughs> you know, producers give a I, shit about that stuff. Years
4: this, so. ago, well over 10 years ago or so, something had gone on in, in my career where there was a great deal of level of excitement or that I was feeling or getting or whatever was going on. And I remember trying to kind of wrap my head around it, talking to a close friend of mine. And and this person said uh, interrupted me and said, you know, it's not about you. And I said, uh, yeah, no, I, I know about what I'm saying. He goes... No, no, but it's it's not about you. And I said, Yeah, no, I get that. <laughs> and I'm just and he goes, No, no, Tim, listen to me. It has nothing to do with you. And it took, honestly, even like the third or fourth time, <laughs> I still was like, yeah, I understand that, but it does a little bit. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know what you're saying, yeah. but I mean, yes, I yes, I understand yeah. that as a metaphor. But, <laughs> but it does. I mean, let's admit it, it does, right? Yeah. And I swear to God, this person was like practically bracing me down and sitting me in a chair saying... No, it's actually not about you at all. <laughs> and somewhere at fourth or fifth time, I remember thinking, "Fuck, it's not about me." <laughs> um and uh it was a very memorable uh, you know, a thing to, You're you lucky know, that you someone had, that had someone yeah. that said that to me. Yeah. 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 And uh it 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 um I'm reminded of that often.
2: How do you uh <laughs> like when you
4: I still don't think I totally get
1: that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think what the, I think what that friend I think what
4: that friend <laughs> I think that friend has it mostly right and it's good that, yeah. that, that person's around.
2: No, because no. well if you're really narcissistic, what what you think is like yeah. that guy's just jealous cause shit's going on.
4: Needless to say, we're not on Twitter. Uh, yeah, exactly. More.
2: Yeah. It is about me. <laughs> um, yeah. but I think I think the underlying message of that is that there is a machine in place. And people need to consume something, and if it's not you, it's gonna be something else. Yeah. so it's, be new. Too. So it is about you in the sense that you're the thing that they're focused on now, but it's not necessarily the essence of who you are. Yeah, I, I'm guessing that's. I'm probably guessing what that it is. the
1: uh,
4: you would think that the those uh, prince and princesses over there in uh, in England have a sense of that a little <laughs> bit. Yes, yeah. that there's just no way it's about them. Right. No, they they're. they're Right? I mean, it, how could it be?
2: Right. Mm-hmm. They were they're props basically. They were born yeah. into this weird and, thing. And I, a
4: very and serve a very
2: useful purpose for
4: everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they really quite quite honestly they do. When you think I about it. I mean that in the most sincere really? way. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. No different than General Hospital or any of those other oh, shows. You, yeah. know, you 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 got to you got to have someone to live vicariously well, through. Well, they're, emo- yeah, they're emotional, yeah, they're yeah, emotional yeah. symbols. You need someone to put up there and go, "Look. They got uh they going through a whole thing there that we can <laughs> you don't, to uh, fantasize uh, through. You don't like got that. a soul. You're just here as uh, yeah. a vessel for my, yeah. um, you
3: gotta, you gotta have something there to, um, you know, you... at least they were born into it as opposed to like, you know, like, uh, American born royalty,
2: <laughs> royalty, what? quote unquote. Yeah. I always love what Louis CK said, uh, where it was, someone in an interview and someone was, like, someone was like, you're the biggest comic in America. And he goes, Maybe right now, but probably not in a couple of years. Like, he, just, he just understood. Like He just understands, yeah. like, yeah, fine. Yeah. Things are great right now. Yeah. Who in, in a couple years, if yeah. it could, could be someone else. Well, he's the
3: guy that saw no. it happen to all his friends. You no, know, I've become yeah. the biggest comic, and then success, they're not.
2: Success later on. I think success in your 40s is a great time to have that. Because to be able to have failed enough where... When something comes along, it doesn't mean everything. Bill Maher said once uh, that his... Or I heard that he said that his idea of success was, you know, when you get the call for the big show that you're going to get, you're just like, oh, okay, great. Like, there's no which is sad in a way that you don't really celebrate as much, but you've just, I mean, do you feel that, that it's hard to get excited about things because you've, you've just been through it for um, so much?
4: I get pretty excited about not getting excited. Um, you know, I really...
2: Um, it's a weirdly powerful thing.
4: I was, and uh, this person is literally, you called Maria, lovely woman behind you there, um, who is a publicist, and um, Maria called me last week, so Last week, when you called and you said, "Hey, if you get nominated tomorrow morning, do you want me to call you or email you?" and I said, "Nominated for what?" and <laughs> she, she said, <laughs> "Well, the SAG and the Golden Globe awards are coming out in the next tomorrow and the next day." and I said, uh, "All right, you just ruined my fucking morning <laughs> 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 because I would have slept peacefully, you know, not because I had no, cl- I didn't had no clue." Yeah. And maybe I shouldn't have had a clue. I, I mean, but anyway, I'm getting the you know, the phone call. But um, but I remember thinking, oh, that's cool. I had no idea. Uh, that's a good sign. But the really good sign was when I slept peacefully through the morning, and not until late in the afternoon did I see something online about the Golden Globe nominations. And I said, oh, I guess I didn't get nominated. So I really didn't, uh, you know, I didn't wake up in the morning and say I've forgotten. Yeah. And I remember saying to my wife, uh, I forgot. I didn't know they were coming, and then and then when I found out, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I said, "I've always wanted to be that guy." It's kind of cool. <laughs> and I was like, apparently now I'm that guy. I, I had no clue, um, and you, that was a that was a nice feeling.
2: Because you want to tell people, like, listen, you don't don't you don't want to be desperate, and you don't want to seem needy. But it's very hard to shut that shit off, because the only way to shut that shit off is by just being comfortable with who you are, and you cannot force comfort. You just can't force it. You just have yeah. to You just have to grow into it or just be that way or have a certain brain chemistry, I guess. It
4: didn't occur to me uh, before, until just now, that we are possibly the most grounded, well-balanced people in show business. There's no question <laughs> that... This, I had
2: no idea. This, this is a cadre of enlightened... Like, we are some type of rare Illuminati. It, it
4: feels like this... Is about to become a call-in show, not unlike a Dr. Drew kind of thing. Yeah, but it's only I it like calling in.
2: It's yeah, that, it's not yeah. sex problems. It's just yeah. like emotional scrapes that they've got. Yeah, themselves they call
4: in, and we just say, "Just keep at it. Yeah, we keep working on the craft. <laughs>
3: persistence. It's all about persistence." Hey, I have
4: my um, second callback for mm. Modern Family. Just don't um, think it...
3: about it. Just don't think don't about it. Don't think go about it doesn't, it. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter.
4: Doesn't matter. Walk in yeah. that door and and think to yourself. Yeah. You know what? Maybe something nice will happen here. It's not about getting the job, but maybe just there'll be a moment, and you leave. It's fine. I
2: I I do loathe I so loathe (laughs) the audition process. I don't. I just don't really. really, I just don't do it anymore. I do it when I want to feel bad about myself. (laughs) (laughs) It sucks to feel bad about yourself about things you didn't even want in the first place. You're like this is terrible. And then you audition and you're like, what do you mean? They didn't like me. You're like, didn't I did it. It's like asking
3: out a girl. You don't really think is pretty. And then she yeah. rejects you and you go, what? No, you don't do that to me. <laughs> yeah. Hey, come on, come back here. Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
4: yeah, that's always a fun thing when you when you call up and you say, listen, I got the material, I have some notes, I have some concerns, I have some questions, and then the response is, they want to know if you'll read for it. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, well, it puts me in a tough position to ask my questions and concerns or give them notes if I'm having to read for it. Yeah, you're going to read yeah. on tape with casting. <laughs> what? <laughs> Just
3: some dude, some intern
4: in a camera in a room. Call back and tell them to offer it to me so I can tell them what I don't like
1: about it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> tell him not for me so I can tell him no. Exactly.
4: How can I tell him what I don't
3: like about it if I'm having to audition for the process for don't the fucking job? do
2: understand how this
3: works? All right, so let me
2: get this right.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: What do you mean it's not about me? I have to put
4: aside <laughs> my problems, put aside my criticisms... Try really hard to get the job, hoping they'll offer it to me, so then I can criticize them.
2: Okay, give me the director on the phone.
3: Yeah,
4: <laughs> I gotta to tell him. That's my goal now. I'm gonna get this fucking job, mm-hmm. and then I'm gonna tell him what I don't like about it.
3: Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's the motivation.
3: When the director asks, "What's your motivation?" <laughs> Making this better.
4: Yeah,
2: yeah. What's the? It's what besides justified? What's the other thing that people always? Uh, what's the? I, 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 this is, here's a question that I, I want to start asking people now is what is the one question that you're tired of getting? Like in every interview, there's three or four questions, and I'm sure there are one or two that are the exact same questions every time. What's <coughs> I yours? I don't,
4: um, uh, it's nothing about specific about, uh, jobs. Uh, that's always lovely if someone says, you know, like, uh, what you did is, it's, uh, quite the compliment to talk about something I did 10, 15, 20 years ago or whatever, or some movie that, kind of breeze through, and it still has a life. It's lovely. Um, I, uh, and you'd think I would have figured this out now, but I l- literally kind of just go dead when someone says, tell me about your character. <laughs> I, and I, I honestly, and I've, I have said this out loud on some occasions, and it's it doesn't it thing gone well, where, where I literally will say, you know, you, you tell me. <laughs> I don't want to talk about the character who the fuck cares about the character?
2: That question is basically the undertone of that question is, I haven't seen the thing you're working on. I don't know
4: what it is. And
2: it's, I don't know <laughs> I don't have any specific things to ask about, so that's a very broad I, like, do you yeah. describe the thing to it me?
4: Says, I mean honestly my I, real- job. I realize I don't have to answer that question and I don't I can answer whatever question I want. Yeah, and they're just starting a conversation. But I find it almost, again, this is my problem. (laughs) But I find it almost offensive. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about your character. Tell me what the show's about. Tell me what's different this season than last. Where, where, we, whatever. And I always want to say, oh, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, and invariably I'll say uh, something like, I play U.S. Marshal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> mm. and then um, and then it just goes downhill from I was there. a marshal yeah. last season yeah. mm-hmm. I will the,
2: continue to be a marshal this season what's different this season just different episodes different actors from last season there, so yeah. last <laughs> season we had a certain story arc yeah. and then this season there's a different story yeah. arc yeah. 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 we've decided to not do the exact same yeah. episodes most the of next, the same actors season.
3: some ones you haven't seen from the season we're prior. gonna
2: shoot some stuff outdoors <laughs> while continuing yeah. to shoot some things indoors yeah.
3: Yeah. As
4: well. exactly otherwise it's yeah I I don't I, but it's, it I realize it's uh, ridiculous because, I, and I'm going to get that question Sure, uh, you know a dozen times in the coming weeks. But I just want you people to know that I, it pains me to answer it. You
2: know, here, here's, we got to put this out soon I'll so they what, know. Right. Here's, here's, a, here's a good way around that. You, uh, you mm-hmm. just stare into their eyes unblinkingly and go, uh, well, my character doesn't like to be asked repetitive generalized questions about <laughs> things that the person asking them should probably do a little research <laughs> on and then just stare. <laughs> that's good. And it's like, oh yeah. that's not me, of course. No, no, no. no that's just, just character. that's just a little background about the character that I'm playing. You right. never see it on screen, but that's really where I'm driving a lot of uh, <laughs> deriving a lot of the motivation. Right.
4: That's good. I like that.
2: Yeah, it skirts the issue, right. kind of sends like a message, that. and it makes a nice uncomfortable moment. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's good. <laughs> when you uh, when so when you take on a when you start working on something like Deadwood, you must have known when you read the script like, oh yeah, this is going to be an exceptional piece of television. But did did you did you really get a sense of that while you were doing it or did you just feel like, ah, oh, we're in a job, there's no, a western I did. No, set? No,
4: no, you no, yeah, I'm no dummy. I mean, I, I you I have a sense of when you read something um that uh that moves you, you know, that that you know, in that case, you know, you find yourself <laughs> A few pages in and you realize your mouth is open as you're reading it. You're you're kinda of going, Wow, uh this is uh you know, as my mom said when she saw it, she said, I thought you were doing a Western and I said, eh, This is what a Western. Is. She says, Not the ones I grew up watching. <laughs> you know, I, I mean I had that sense of it when I was reading it. I had a sense of um you know, and then I think day you know, day one on the set, uh David taking it to this other level of you know it it it, he, it 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 took me a while to even kind of grasp how far he was taking it and you know how um familiar yet unfamiliar it was going to be you know it, it was uh, i don't think i uh, i don't i don't think i have it took me a long time to realize he wasn't joking when he would start speaking and giving us direction yeah and i to this day it's a it's a tremendous source of inspiration uh work uh, th- that experience working with david
2: it's it was a weird it was almost i don't know i've never seen anything else like it i don't know how else to describe it other than it's like a shakespearean western like yeah. e- everything the dialogue it it was you had to be a good actor to make that dial- to 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 make that dialogue work because it was it was so and just an in intricate yeah and uh, and I'm so fucking mad. I I just I heard this aw- I heard this awful story that it just that this that everyone thought the show was coming back, and then HBO pulled some sort of a weird, crazy thing, and then it uh, like it, like last minute they're like, well, it's not coming back. Like what?
4: Yeah. yeah, that was my experience. I remember it <laughs> f- well because I had just bought a house.
2: <laughs> <laughs> season three, we did three seasons, guys. Everyone loves uh, the show. What are we gonna not come back? I, I mean, it was so this bi- is America. It was
4: so bizarre because during the course of season three, um, Ian and I were renegotiating our deals and renegotiating good faith. So we were literally eight or nine episodes in when we completed a, a renegotiation deal. For that season, we were shooting. You know, you always hear those dramas like sure. they're not going to show up in the set until they have a deal yeah. and yada. We were kind of like, well, we'll go, when the season started, we were still in the talks of of renegotiating, and you know, the show was successful, and we were going to get a bump and so on and so forth. Especially in it, 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 the ridiculously well deserved bump. Um, but we were like, oh, yeah, we're we're going to go to work and we're going to do the job and we're not a problem and the people will continue to you know, talk and go back and forth. And it got drawn out. No hurry. But so my point is eight episodes in or so, we completed a deal and got paid for those eight, you know, big paycheck for those eight, nine episodes we'd already shot. Yeah. And within two weeks later, they canceled the fucking (laughs) show. So you're like... (laughs) Why'd you just give us all that money? <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, this was not on the agenda. Yeah. Otherwise, they would have just said, "Go fuck yourselves." Right. We're not. We're gonna pay you what we're gonna pay So it was clear that nobody saw that that sort of train wreck coming. That's crazy. Um, because you know I had, I, had the checks to prove it. I mean, there was been no reason, obviously, to give us a, a raise. Uh, you know, three fourths of the way through the season, um, and. Uh, I really did buy, uh, my wife and I bought a house. As I like to say, glass half full now. Thank God I didn't know they were going to cancel the show. I would have (laughs) never bought this house. Uh, You know, I managed to stay in it.
1: I shaved my head and went <laughs> to Bulgaria for a, to do a movie, but I managed to <laughs> pay for the fucking
4: house. Uh, <laughs> people ask, "Are you gonna do a second Hitman?" You are like, "No, no, we're good, we're good." <laughs> no, I am still right. in the house. We're good. We're in the house, and so far, not a. We don't <laughs> not, have to, yeah. not doing a second uh, Hitman. But, um, but I remember getting literally, They'd moved in a few days, and uh, early one morning, and David called me and. I said bad news um he said the show's over uh and it was it was um you know I don't want to give too much of that conversation away but it sounded like you know uh they gave him a nudge and he said or you could just go fuck yourself um you know uh, we'll wow. just we'll just call it and i think that was that was my understanding. I don't but, know. You know, it takes two people to make up that sure. big of an accident. So.
2: I don't know if this is true, but the but the rumor that I heard, and again, this is allegedly probably tenth hand information, but um, the rumor that I heard was that you know someone who was running the network at the time standed to get a huge bonus if HBO came in under a certain budget oh, for the I year. Don't,
4: I don't. I, well, I I don't know about
2: that. Okay, good. I hope that's not the case.
4: Look, I I think that. Here's what I think would be conventional wisdom on that issue, which is um, HBO, uh, more importantly than Deadwood, would uh, want to be in the David Milch business. Sure. Because he is a remarkable, remarkable talent. And he had sold them a show, which turned out to be John in Cincinnati, that they um, were very excited about in terms of the possibility and continue that relationship. Deadwood was an extremely expensive show. Sure. I mean, our call sheets were oftentimes, you know, day 15 of 11.
3: Right. <laughs>
4: like, why, we even, why even, why even, what is that, that makes no sense. 15, right. You know, why, what are we talking about? I mean, we went, it was a television show that went months over and was, I mean, it was an unbelievable, but they gave them a lot of, you know, room and it was very costly. And they didn't own it outright either. Oh, okay. I mean, that de- paramount. I think, H, as I understand it, HBO and Paramount shared that. In order to work with David on that show, uh, Paramount had a deal, and so there was something where they owned the domestic, but so on, the other owned the foreign. So even the, the the fact that it was a success, I don't know if it was such a huge financial. So I, I think there was some motivation to say, okay, this show is what it is, yeah, and... Um, and perhaps we should start seeing the end of it soon and move on to what that sh- network is about, which is the next great thing.
2: I just wish HBO would have said, here's, we'll give you a, a little bit of money to do one two-hour episode to just fucking wrap it up. Like,
4: Well, yeah, I, I, I think that um, in defense to all of that, I would say that um, while I'm sure there was good intentions and, and people still talk about it, the The practicality of bringing together all those people to, to do that show sure. as it was originally conceived with all the players. I mean, it's hard to get three, four of us together for lunch. I, I don't know how <laughs> you get three, four of us together for a few months and say, okay, we're going to do it and we're going to do it sure, right here sure. because you've got a window and you've got a window and David's yep. got a thing and da-da-da-da-da. And, negot- and everyone agreed to do it in some good spirit of, you know how do you not negotiate? And it's it's just a very complicated. Once it ends, it's very complicated to say, "Oh, now we want to do this thing." Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm an asshole. I just be like fine, seven million dollars.
1: <laughs>
4: They're like, "What are you talking about?" They like, hey, fuck you, seven million dollars. You want to make it? Let's go. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'd be like, All right, "You got someone else play it? Fucking let them play it." And then you're like. Billy Crudup's playing Bullock. And <laughs> 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 All right, hold up a second. <laughs> whoa, 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 what seven? was I getting paid per episode again? Go back. <laughs> I'll, I'll you, take, I'll that. take half of that. That's good. i <laughs> me
3: back. I'll, I'll tell tell what it. I'll do it for free. I just, I, you guys. I just
4: want to be a part of it. I just want to be a part of it. It's really hard to put it together. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, and uh, anytime you read about um, a job you're doing, for the first time you hear about it in the trades, it's usually not going to happen. It just makes no sense. I've had a few times where I'm like, hey, honey, hear this? I'm doing a movie. <laughs> and I've never been in that movie, ever. You know what I mean? Like, I, every now and then you get we where it happens a lot, in the, you know, especially in the last decade or so with the Internet. You're walking down, you show up to work, and they say, hey, I hear you're going to be the Lone Ranger. And you're like, no fucking way. That's great. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> Uh, Hold up a second. (laughs) They're like, we're ready for you on the set. Fuck you, man. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't just hear. I'm the lone fucking ranger, man. (laughs) (laughs) You are? Yeah. Who told you that?
2: <laughs> fucking makeup. <laughs> they're all talking about it in makeup. It's on fucking TV.com. They must know because they they're know. really in the business. Is, like they hear right things.
4: right fucking there. Read about it. Now it's on like 12 websites. They can't all be wrong.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, they were all sourcing the same... Oh.
4: Yes, exactly. So you call your agent. I it was a Drew? I'm the lone fucking ranger. It's like, listen, man, I don't I get Google alert. I see it. I, no. <laughs> I You know, and that's the way Deadwood was. I mean, I literally, uh McShane and I were on the phone. He called me and said, Hey, did you hear about this? I said, What? He says, We're doing a movie, Deadwood movie. I said, Get the fuck out. He goes, It's in the trades. I was like, Really? Huh?
2: When are we doing it? Like, <laughs> oh, we already shot it. We yeah. already shot
4: it. It's great. You remember you were so, there. So, I mean, you know, come. it's... Uh...
2: It will always... Deadwood will always be one of my... Like, there will always be a tiny hole in my heart where... It's like, oh, I want to know what happened to Hearst and Calamity Jane was pulling it together and yeah. Seth was dealing with his anger and you know. Like, I'm sure if there's some yeah. fan
3: fiction that would be just up to you the know, snot, I'll tell you who I'm
2: w- erotic fan fiction that would be up. To I want to know what happened to the character who got kicked in the face by the horse. Like I always, I'm gonna be like, did they just carry oh, him in a wheelbarrow? Uh, for a that minute? was Don Draper's dad. <laughs> so good, so good. I just want to know.
4: Maybe there's a uh, maybe there's a comic book in there somewhere. Someone could just wrap it up in a... You know, graphic novel. I mean, yeah, you, you yeah. know,
2: horrible racist gets kicked. I mean, like, I'm spoiling it now because if you haven't seen Deadwood by now, you should. And well, even if you hear this, you still should watch the yeah. series anyway. It's worth by the way,
4: when you say horrible racist gets kicked in the head by a horse, it still
3: plays. Even it <laughs> <great>. <laughs> and I want to see that as an onion headline. But just
2: watching what happens with the character, it's like, with the relationship between him and Franklin Ajay's character. Unbelievable. That they, they like, it just. You even, know what's even amazing? Just that side story is if amazing. If
4: you could only, uh, why not? no one shot a making of document. I mean, I really I was on the set countless times a couple days a week where I said, why is no one filming this? Watching David pull that shit out of the ether. I mean, just daily pulling that kind of stuff. He would come up to me and tell me "Uh, here's what's uh, going to be great. Uh, What happens at the, I remember season one halfway through the show he comes up to me and says, uh, "This uh, here's what's uh, what's going to happen is uh, you remember that guy in the opening episode uh, wanted that dude you're going and they wanted to tar uh, smother him tar set him on fire." Uh, he shows up. <laughs> he's kind of that guy rides into Deadwood. He's lost everything, and he's gonna you know he's got to start over. He's gonna pan for gold. and He's starting from scratch. And when he sees you doing as well as you're doing. He would rather kill you than have to pick up a fucking pan, <laughs> wow. and, and you're like, "That's awesome," you know. And then the next day, you're like, "How's that coming?" Uh, no, new thing. Uh, <laughs> you like, I mean, d- uh, daily uh, awesomeness just pouring out of him. Wow. I mean, that kid getting, you know, uh, hit, uh, the bullet kid. Oh god, damn it! Which becomes like the greatest, amazing, moving, emotional. The core of the second season, is that what it yeah. is? You know, the, uh, and I can't vouch for the, any truth to all of this. I, I can only tell you, that hadn't been discussed at, at any time. And I showed up one day, and someone said there was a rumor going around that the kid's mother was, and I'll keep it, was being a pain in the ass. And, you know, what the details of that are, aren't important, but because of every kid's parent on a set is a pain in the <laughs> ass. <laughs> so we can keep, we can trust that that's <laughs> a truth, right? That's a every kid below 12 years old on a set has a parent who's a big pain in the fucking ass.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: they're probably a single parent. They probably hang out at the Daily when Grill we on did Laurel Justified, Canyon.
4: Yeah. We talked about uh, uh, Raylan having a kids because he has kids in the book. And then we thought they're just going to be a pain in the ass. So we thought, let's not have him have kids. <laughs> Maybe we'll have him have kids towards the third or fourth season, if we're so lucky, and then the show will be over, and we won't have to deal <laughs> with, their, with their parents. So anyway, I, there's this rumor going around that the mother's done something, and, and, uh, and David's uh, none too happy about it. And so you say, whatever, move on. And at lunch that day, I got a knock on my door, the, on my trailer, and uh, open up, David. <laughs> And I said, what's up? He says, uh, we're going to kill the kids. Oh, my God. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) I said, really? He said, it's going to be, uh... Gonna be great for you, great, great story, great story. It's gonna be good for the kid, uh, <laughs> and on we went. I mean, that became this incredible story, and not to and look typical. David, uh, not unlike a lot of those stories, whether it was the preacher with the tumor and and all that, he became fascinated with all of the everything and how it affected everybody, and it became the theater of the town. The kid's sure. death was like, oh, we didn't. You know, most television, you kill the kid and he's dead, and everybody has it, sheds a tear. And the next week, you got a new episode. David was like, "No, we're going to kill the kid, and we're going to draw, we're going to, we're going to see every facet of that. We're going to see how it affects you and the family and the town. You're going to go into mourning. you to, they, you know, they don't know when to when to take you out of mourning because the town needs you. I mean, it became this incredible. Uh, my <coughs> character talking to the kid as if I'm his real father. Yeah, uh, unbelievable." Based on, from what I understand, just some fucking <laughs> m- woman who just pissed him off that morning.
2: That's great. David sa- sa- David sounds a little more like Engine's character in that in that sense. Like, oh, you fuck with me? All right. I think David- <laughs> I'm gonna run over your kid with David a bunch of horses. David
4: has the part of the brilliance of as far as I can tell, is that he sees no separation between the unconscious and conscious mind and what happens at lunch and what happens on, uh, on the set and what happens on the, in the, in the scene. And, you know, I, I would, I remember having lunch with him early when we started working and talking about getting in fights. And I told him when I was a kid, as late as like sixth grade or so, I used to get in a lot of fights and, and I remember getting in fights and, And crying while fighting some kid, and the next day he's got a scene where Bullock's, you know, uh, you know, got his hands around uh, uh, what's his name's neck, tears coming out of his eyes. Um, What is uh, Jack uh, Jack McCall, right? The
2: guy who killed killed Wild Bill. Oh, right, 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 right.
4: That scene was written shortly after a conversation I had with him, just talking about. Was that Garrett? Yeah, Dillahunt.
2: Dillahunt, Amazing.
4: Yeah. And that great line where he says, why are you crying, faggot? You know, uh, I call him a droop-eyed motherfucker, and, <laughs> and he says I was born that way. And I say, Would you, how do you explain the rest of the fucking mess? I mean, it was amazing <laughs> stuff. I remember walking off the set with David. On the stage door, you go in through those double doors, and you, it, you go into, you know, from set light into extreme darkness, and then you open the door into the sunlight. And David w- walked right into the wall really hit his head hard. I looked at him, it was just the two of us. I said, are "You are you okay?" And he looks over at me and says, "God damn it, if I couldn't become addicted to that."
1: <laughs> <laughs>
4: and uh, the that night pages came out some character just banging his head over and over and over.
2: That's amazing. I I love I did I think I mean, the one it, thing you never see in a western or like, you know, in that type of a show is the emotional impact of the lifestyle that they lead. And seeing, seeing Swearingen's number one guy and Hearst's number one guy get in the most brutal oh. street fight you've ever seen. And then in most westerns, they would have been like, they would have like the one guy would have walked away and been like, yeah, whatever. And then watching what happened to him emotionally when you think this character is impenetrable and you see what the real fallout of that is, is is astonishing yeah. to see. I wish. I wish that Deadwood were an interactive like sandbox type game <laughs> uh, yeah. where you could just go in and just check in on different pairs of characters the and way, seeing what everyone's that's doing. That's
4: what it was. Yeah. on that set. I mean that's exactly what he had they gave him a street and it was fully operational and it and and he he that's why I wish I I I wish it was filmed because it it was his sandbox and he was literally on the set shooting a scene with me saying uh what episode is this? And then they someone would whisper, you know, this is episode 5. He goes, is this when um is this when the uh before the Swearingen's uh going over to see Wu? That is that where we are? Yes, David. Are the Japanese here? <laughs> <laughs> do we have the Japanese? And they're like, "Uh, David wants Japanese. David, uh, how soon can we get the Japan?" You know, what do we And then then you David, we could have the Japanese here in a, in an hour. Perfect. Uh, perfect. What else can we shoot? Uh, let's wait an hour. We'd like to have, you know, and it's a, it's a fucking sandbox wow. with his little wow. soldiers. And he's like, it, it, uh, 50% of it felt like it was thought through and 50% of it was, oh, here's what we should do. You know, I got an idea. That's yeah. amazing. It was, um, and if they, and, and, and at the same time he'd say, you know, it wouldn't be unlike him to say, uh boy uh we what we really need here is uh uh is Hawks John Hawks he should be in this do we have John Hawks no he's not available today perfect uh what we need is uh um, <laughs> <and they're, laughs> it would just be uh, you know like uh, the way kids play with their toys I mean there's uh, it, was, it was unbelievable wow. I think I think in the sense that he he understood that the story he had a very good idea of the story and the ideas, uh, the things that were important to him that he was telling. So it didn't. It everything else was sort of. Um, any any, it felt like all the pieces could fit to tell that story to its fullest. I don't know. It, it was it was remarkable to be around. Well, with, since you
2: that. <clears throat> since you're on the creative side of justified, do you did you take anything away from that?
4: I pretend, I I think, uh, as I think David Mamet once said, I think of a man smarter than me, and I ask myself, what would he do? (laughs) (laughs) And that's the game I'm playing on Justified. I just, um, um, I think to myself, all right, you know, there's an opportunity. It's been an opportunity for me to exercise that, that, in theory anyway, that idea of saying, well, wait a second, You know, it's very hard for them to get rid of me on this show, you know. Um, And so I'm able to kind of go in and say, I got an idea, you know. Or um, what if we, uh, you know, I got a question, uh, you know, what, uh, I don't know, I I, I, I feel like I think because I'm not one of the writers, so I have no pressure, you know, my name's not on the script. Um, If it doesn't work, I think, well, shouldn't have let me fucking... You know, <laughs> That's on I'm you. I'm just supposed to say my lines and hit my mark. I think there's a certain freedom that, that that comes with it, the fact that technically I'm just supposed to, you know, be an actor on the show. Um, and I think one of the hardest things that I've... Know, I've learned so much on the show, and I think one of the most difficult things for writers on a television show is to not write defensively. I think the it's a very difficult... Um, the 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 nature of the the system of a writer's room you know when when you're david and you have this singular voice and you've been given all that power and you're as out of your mind as he is and 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 there are others like him and so committed to your vision i think that it that you know if it if it works it's really going to work i think what happens in a in the writer's room that's very difficult is you you basically it's a it's a job you're you're trying to Work for the network. You're trying to work for your boss. You're trying to, you know, rise above, and you're trying to. You're ultimately trying to please the certain people. Sure. And sometimes perhaps too many people. And I think invariably you end up thinking defensively. Well, is he going to like that, or is that what he wants? Right. And it's the kiss of fucking death every time. And it's a very funny thing that I I didn't see coming when I forced my way into that room, and you know, exercised my voice. It was so fun for me, but what starts to get created is people thinking, "Well, I don't know if Tim's gonna like that." You know, I don't Tim things, and I, uh, you just don't want him to think that way. And no. at the same time, you want him to do what you fucking want him to do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of an
4: unfair. <laughs> it's a totally unfair. It's un, It's ridiculously unfair. It's very, very difficult to be in that position and not fall into that trap. And by doing so, you lose the f- childlike sort of freedom and imagination to just fantasize and say you know, where does this want to go? I know this is where we think it wants to go, but fuck that, I'm taking it this way.
2: I think I know part of the trick to that <clears throat> because you do you deal with it a lot when you're when you're doing stand-up, which is you're, try, you're trying stuff and you know some people aren't going to like stuff. And I think, so any idea that you're pitching, and writers room or whatever, you have to be okay with, you have to be comfortable with the fact that you're taking a risk and some of your stuff is going to fail. Yes. So you just have to know that if it does fail, you fucking move on right away. Like if I pitch you an idea and you go, I hate that. I go fine. Here's another idea. Yeah. And right. then, and if you don't linger on it, right? People can't focus on more than one thing at a time, so they're not going to go back and go, whoa, wait a minute, that last that you are know, like, hey, here's a new thing. Great, you didn't like that. Yes. here's Something like you just have to be comfortable to not linger on it too long. And then well, I feel like they'll find. I it. think
4: in the I think the thing you said that's the big deal is to um is is to be uh, comfortable with failure. Yeah. I, I mean I I I remember in, in acting school hearing this. Story about a guy, and I I don't remember which one, but it's during that sort of fervent years of you know American theater and Strasburg and all those, you know Sandy Meisner and put New York theater, and American theater, and some one of them giving a speech saying the problem was they were becoming too obsessed with success and trying to write plays that would be successful, and he ultimately was giving a speech where his his big rally cry was, we need more failures. <laughs> and um, we need more failures. <laughs> Come on, people. Um, and I find myself um, uh, sounding a little bit like that on the set, which is, who gives a shit? I mean, really, What if we go for this and it doesn't work, worst case scenario is what? Yeah. Right? I, I mean, we... F- We've we it doesn't work, but boy, we sw- we you know we took a swing. Yeah. If we don't go for it, and it kind of works or it plays or something, so what you know, so yeah. what? And I think it's really um, tough to to get to that place to really trust your unconscious to trust that this um, that this to to tell it in a look. You basically want approval. Basically, what it comes down to, you're you're just constantly trying to get approval, and the easiest way to get approval is to do what works mm-hmm. week in and week out. And um, the problem with that is it's it, it invariably becomes boring. Sure. And so you have to be willing to say, you know, look, my what I'm trying desperately to do is write something fantastic that everybody loves, and the way I'm going to go about it is to do something that. Could be an absolute fucking disaster, <laughs> you know. And um, and I think that's a it's a really tricky game to play. And still, especially when you're, um, you know, you're in a room and you're you're trying to impress, and you're and you're trying, you know, you eventually want to get your own show and run that show. It's very hard to get into that mindset, of uh, of, of of being that sort of free. I mean, when you think of those Milt stories, the idea of having a run-in with some stage mother, and then saying, "Okay, the whole season's now going to be about we're going to kill that kid," and then we're going to. It, it just takes such a, um, a level of sort of confidence and throwing caution to the wind. I, the, I go back to those stories constantly because I ask myself, "What was the season going to be about?" <laughs>
1: right?
4: And how? And I'm sure it was probably something fantastic. Uh, and easily could have said, "Okay, we're just going to deal with this issue, and we're going to go forward with what we've got planned." Yeah, the fact that he was in a position to say, "Here's an opportunity,"
2: well, that's the key. Is is ta- like that's he has an improviser's mindset where it's like it doesn't matter what you throw at me; I'm going to be able to make it work somehow. And that's having right. that level of confidence is yes. and comfort.
4: Oh, no, I think that's what you see when you mention like Louis C.K. and something that you know it's. It it what he's done in recent years is th- just decide to throw up over on everybody. Yeah. And 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 um, and I think that um, that that's just a very, um, brave, place to be. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the payoff is so great, but I think I I remember watching him do stand up, fifteen twenty years ago in um, New York. I did stand up like six months of my life. You did.
2: You did, did stand-up? Yeah. In New York? In New York, yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> like, I had Boston
4: and... Uh, oh, well, yeah, com-
2: that's that's when the Boston comedy scene was fucking amazing. That was,
4: um, you know, I was going down there like open mic night and trying to get five minutes during the week, you know, at least like oh, Monday through Thursday, and then it gets tough. And
2: God, you had Greg Giraldo and Bill Burr and I had, guys like that. Well, Dave
4: Attell would, yeah. was hosting, and Louis C.K. was hosting, Kevin Brennan was hosting, uh, Sarah Silverman was doing like what I write kind of like open mic a couple yeah. minutes and Jay Moore was down there and Dave uh Chappelle was mm-hmm. just getting down there he was like a kid telling um stories about arriving in New York and and um and Louis CK was doing like um Superman, like Clark, Superman walking through Washington Square Park, <laughs> going, <laughs> No, thank you. I'm okay. I don't do drugs. No, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> and I remember thinking, and he did like, you know, sounds in an elevator. Like he would just do like when you get in an elevator, yeah. what you really want to do is, and he'd start going, blah, blah,
1: blah, you know,
4: he's, and it was really funny, <laughs> but it wasn't. What obviously he started to do what Dave Attell was doing then what I feel in that regard which is he was just saying shit up there that you're like "Ah, God that's fucking funny but I know who you are now (laughs) I know you in a way I mean I remember Dave Attell getting walking up on stage and saying literally just grabbing the mic and saying my dad used to dress up as Santa Claus rape me and say don't worry Dave I don't exist (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, that's, that's, that's hello. You know what I mean? That's hello. Let's start there. Right away, you're like, wow, I, you've got my attention. You're telling me you've got 15 more minutes. And it's Ugh. in that gravelly voice. Ugh. Oh my God. I,
2: how, how was stand up for you then? So you did it for six months and
4: then. At least, actually, I probably did it much longer than that. I think there was a six month period where I did it um, with a certain a commitment. I think I probably dabbled and then I did it for six months and then I occasionally would go back. Not sure what I was, what the fuck I was, you know, doing with it. Um, uh, it was, uh, it was great. It was, well, it was both great and what the, I don't want to do this. I mean, <laughs> it was fun. But, um, you know, there's a stretch there in uh, my mid twenties where, um, you know, I'd made some kind of commitment just to say, uh, well, there's a thought, you know, do that, you know, give it a shot. Um, don't it was some sort of like, let's try to avoid the midlife crisis. It was like sure. a conscious decision <laughs> to avoid a midlife crisis. So anything and everything that seemed like um, something, you, you know, that like, this is something I've always wanted to do. I'm going to go at least, you know, scratch the surface and, yeah. and, and, and take a good look at it before I go get a job uh, or have to get a job. And so um, it was the first decision, actually, stand-up. I was a fine art major, and I was painting and drawing, and and I I, I needed to um, start thinking about, you know, work and a career. and I was thinking about getting an advertising, you know, job, like, I remember like 30-something, that show. I thought, that could be my life. <laughs> and that would be great. Those guys seem like they've got a great situation. They've got a basketball hoop in their office. Yeah. And that seems <laughs> They're fun. doing okay. They have yeah. high-class
2: problems. They've, mm-hmm. They're
4: creative. They're quippy. They're Yes, all of those things. And I thought, that's, that's it. That's where I'm headed. And that was pretty good. But there was a part of me that, with all due respect to people in that profession, I just thought, oh, my God, it's still a nightmare. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I was applying to get my uh, master's uh in fine arts and and you know, see well, maybe I could just be an artist, like literally galleries. You know, I was trying to, people are constantly I'm um, going on, but you know, when you get like oh i when i got chose to get a fine art degree, I just did it because I could. Um, I didn't think about what I was gonna be, right. I just remember visiting this co- you know the college and saying, what's going on over there? And they said, that's the fine art department. And I was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) They said, you know, painting, drawing, sculpture. And I was like, you can get a degree in that? And they said, yeah. I was like, I'm in. I mean, that's (laughs) fantastic. I mean, I spend hours drawing rather than doing my homework. So if I could actually get a degree, I mean, that's getting away with murder. And, um, but, there was no plan beyond that. And then, what people do invariably is when you're going to college, people say, So, what are you going to do with that? And then you start answering the. You, you First, you think, Well, I could be an artist. And then they kind of squint. And then you think, Oh, I could get like, you know, commercial design. And they nod their head. And you're like, Okay, <laughs> that's the answer. So you start. You're, you're, you know what I mean? You're like, hmm. I could get into, you know, advertising. And they say, Aha, yes, mm-hmm. yes. And so you think that's what you're going to become. And then I think when I. In my 20s, I realized, no, that's not what I want. Anyway, so stand-up was something I'd always thought of. So I got up once with a buddy of mine, and we went up, the two of us, literally down at the Laugh Factory in Santa Monica, right after Jerry Seinfeld, and mm-hmm. it was painful. I mean, it was <laughs> it was, a, it was silence. of It was three minutes of silence. Um, but I thought... Yeah, we should give it another shot. And he was like, "You're on your own." So then
1: I so, <laughs> one then, and I, done. so yeah. then
4: I went up at the Laugh Factory, um, and it went great. I mean, it really was one of those, uh, you know, my experience was it went very well. Early, um, mm-hmm. moved to New York, and um, went. You know, I got advice, go down to Boston and uh, Boston comedy, was, and I started doing it, and it, and it, it was going pretty well. Um, Uh, I think the problem with it was, um, I thought, you know, uh, there's a lot of other things that I'd like to have in life. And this seems to be in complete contradiction of, of, of that, um, that, and maybe at the time I was just, um, terrified of all of it. But I, I I think that, I think I felt like I was just going to be, um, I was losing a sense of, I mean, it was early on, but my wife, we were married, and I just felt like, well, these hours are not useful. Uh, uh, this L- this no. me- this mentality is a very difficult. It's a very difficult energy to to try to maintain. I mean, comedians are very difficult to fucking hang out with. <laughs> I mean, they really are. <laughs> I mean, it's such a constant one-upsmanship and a constant feeling of mm. of is that funny? And it's very difficult to put that aside and yeah and i so i felt like it was really taxing as much as it was a drug and um i also thought i'm gonna be a best case scenario i'm on a sitcom and done and the whole thing's over in like seven years right (laughs) i just was really concerned that you saw the ceiling I, i saw the ceiling and i thought but, you know, looking back, I mean, I think I, a lot of it was just fear because sometimes you, you get so wrapped up in making these smart decisions and being thoughtful and stuff, and then you're in a movie and the the, the star w- was, like, in the WWF, and you think, <laughs> what was I so fucking concerned about? You know what I mean? Like, he's got the star of the movie, and he was a wrestler, and I was busy taking classes and trying to be thoughtful. So, I mean, I think that uh, – but anyway, it was cool. It was, it was great, and um, – but I, I think that uh, it, it, it nudged me towards, like, maybe I should go take some acting classes and I'm, just give myself a little wiggle room.
2: I'm happy to hear the comedy went well, because I, I would guess, like, you might be too handsome to be a stand-up. Like there's I almost, got
4: shit for it, uh, you know, but yeah.
2: There's almost a little, you know, like... The, I mean,
4: I... A comedian, a comedian. Thank you, no, of course. Way, I appreciate that. A, com- a comedian has I find be. you're pretty handsome to be a stand-up as well, young man. Well,
2: I was fishing. Uh, but, uh...
4: <laughs> I, I, I really felt like I Time to put by the that, reel away. <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: Close the tackle box. I'll leave you guys this alone. This fishing be, trip yeah, is over. No,
2: that's right. Jonah looks like a comic. Like, this <laughs> yeah, is what I'm talking <laughs> about.
3: Yeah. If I put a hat on, I look like a comedy writer. That's just how it yeah. <laughs> I, um...
2: You'd put on a suit and some tennis
4: I was a huge, I was like a student of like the steve martin and of the um i i really thought you know i was going to do something sort of heady and smart and i wanted whatever. that for
2: so long to try to write steve martin style because you know i knew every album back to front and yeah. um I, mean, I could recite "Comedy is Not Pretty" and "Cruel Shoes" and all these great and and um, play the banjo parts with the Steve
3: Martin could brothers. Never
2: play the banjo parts. Yeah. <laughs> breakdown. I
4: opened with <laughs> "If You Love Me and You Know It," clap your hands, and I uh,
3: uh, I thought
4: that was his. That was in my mind. I was like, that's. Pretty fucking That's Steve Martin. Martin. Yeah. I mean, I'm going Steve right Martin. to the thing. Like, let's just get this out of the way. And the- do I need to? Do I need? To, do I, can I just open with "Do you love me?"
2: and then tell jokes? That was my. That was my premise. Steve wore a white suit and a black tie. I'm yes. gonna wear a blue suit <laughs> yes. and a and a black tie. Yeah. It's but a little I bit thought, and then
4: I think I told some Martin pornography jokes. I mean, I really went for the uh You
2: can't for, like you spend that first period of time trying to write those kind of jokes and you're like, "Oh yeah, this isn't this is impossible. I can't fucking I don't know how that." He just wrote that cuz that was his his take on the Zeitgeist of the Vegas performer and the like yeah. there was a level that worked if you didn't get what he was doing and if you got what he was doing, it's like a whole other brilliant ironic level of ma- writing and It just—he was just that magical combination, right time, right era, right. No, it
4: was yeah. No, he's pretty special.
2: Right, right, everything. Yeah, and 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 the one guy that I'm I'm I've kind of been like I thought I wanted him on the podcast, and then I was like I don't know if I could do it because I might just be too.
4: Steve Martin. Yeah, I met him once, uh, and um, I did one of those like where I over laughed. I actually (laughs) met him a couple times. I auditioned for Picasso and oh oh, the Pinagil, yeah. And so I went down to this, and it was like a, a experience I'd never had before. I was literally in a theater on the stage, and they were Steve Martin and the director and the producer were all kind of in the in the theater, sitting down in the in the dark. And I went up, I auditioned for Elvis, and I remember after I re- did my you know read, I read through it. He said they the director said something, and I said, "You mean like?" And and then Steve said something. And I said, oh, you mean like, blah, blah, blah. And he said, yeah, like, blah, 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 blah. And in my head, all I remember thinking is, we're collaborating. <laughs> I'm
1: collaborating <laughs> like
4: I am, I, am, I just had, I don't even recall what he said other than, you know, and me saying, oh, you mean like, la, la, la. You know, he's like, oh, maybe, you know. So it could have been like, so you mean whatever. I'm not right for this part. Yes, says, you're yes, not like right that. for this part. And I thought, wow, so we we just had this thing that we just clearly were seeing something the same. And, and then... Um, I read a couple times and then I I left and uh I I left my bag back in the theater and I walked back in the theater and I said oh, sorry and you know it was embarrassing and I pick up my bag and I leave so it was like one of those second see you thank you great and then you walk out and then you come back in and yeah. say oh mm-hmm. can I just and as I left he's like you can turn the tape recorder off now <laughs>
1: like I I left the tape recorder in my
4: bag and tape recorded the their conversation after I'd left and I thought that was really funny and witty, and um, never thought about that. I should do that. Leave my bag put <laughs> the tape recorder, and I hear what they say. And then I didn't get the part. Years later, I was doing a play off Broadway, and he was friends with um, uh, one of the actors, uh, uh, Bruce Norris. You know, he went on to w- he went on to become a writer and win a Pulitzer. Right? His brother was the guy on MTV, did the news. Oh, John Norris. John Norris. So. So is it Bruce is the actor and John is the news guy, right? John was the news guy, So yeah. Bruce has since become a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright and a very funny, witty guy. And he was in the play and Steve showed up and came back downstage, backstage, and was like hanging out with all of us. And he said something, someone said something about one of the cast members being sick the night before. And it's good that you came tonight because one of the other cast members in this four-person play wasn't here last night. And Steve said, oh, so did you just do the play without that part? You know, or something like that. And I was like,
1: ha, 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 ha.
4: And I realized I'm laughing way too hard. <laughs> and, he, um, and then he invited us all for drinks. And he said, uh, you guys want to, we're going to go have drinks and you're all invited. And we walked around um, a few blocks and went into a bar there in Broadway. And he sat with all of us. Um, for the night, like for a few hours. And I didn't speak uh I just kept my distance. I was like this is smart. Well, I just thought
2: this is I could feel I I, I Well you put the arrow through the head, right? Uh, and you put the money ears uh, on and then I kept d- saying, That's crazy <laughs> And you would
4: say, Hey, you know, I think I'm gonna have a beer. What are you gonna have? I was like, No way, that's crazy <laughs> And uh they escorted me out. But uh it was just great to be, you know, it as it was a monumental those are big experiences i
2: love that i way. i ha- i had no idea i i love no. that this this is uh i mean i will bond about steve martin for forever i mean we're yeah we're out of time now we're almost at the end but um but this has been really great i'm so you know i'm sorry i didn't stumble across the the stand-up past earlier on we have like there's not much to stumble over i mean that <laughs> was, that, was I yeah. Just,
3: yeah. Uh, that was it i just
4: no it doesn't come up a lot i don't think i've ever but are there any? T- Ooh, what
2: a scoop! Is there any video of that <laughs> anywhere? There must be.
4: I
3: don't think so. Don't think so, or don't. hope Someone
2: so. will
4: find no, it. No, no. I. You I'm good with it? No, I'm. Listen, I, I, there's one thing I'm guilty of, it's being a big fan of my own work. Uh, <laughs> you know, people ask if you're uncomfortable watching your work, and I'm like, no. I fucking sit in the theater and I nudge my wife. I was like, wait to, wait for this. Watch, <laughs> watch this part. Watch this part coming up right here. Yeah. Watch this part. I don't mind watching. Do and yeah, you see the lines along that? With Was yourself? that not good? Did you see
1: that?
2: <laughs> I figured Did you out. See a, that? I figured out a better way to say that. I'm gonna do. When we get home, I'm gonna show yeah, yeah. you how. Watch that, this
4: thing coming up here. I don't yeah. even have any dialogue, but watch. The <laughs> watch, <laughs> the watch the moment. Watch yeah. it. Watch it. That wasn't
3: written. That just you know. (laughs) See that wink? All me.
2: Clap if you love me. (laughs) Yeah.
4: See that was that's the opening. That
2: that, that was that was actually good. Good good comedy. That was actually who you were. That's actually.
4: Uh, Well, you know, it was an idea. It played no matter what, to some degree. If, if people clapped, if one person, if, if three people, four people clapped, you're like, every every time it didn't matter. You'd say, you walk up, you grab the mic, you say, if you love me and you know it, clap your hands. And if it's dead silence, Hilarious. or if one person claps, it doesn't matter. Regardless, all I would say is, Thank you! (laughs) Uh, And continue on (laughs) and to go on. And I felt the only thing I felt was never, why it was never reached its heights is because I've realized that a real comic would take that and go on for three minutes. I bet you could get three minutes out of that one premise. I remember thinking, oh, I've got a, it's an opening line, but I think, I remember thinking going, I should be able to sing that song in various forms. We're on and on. I think it's a on. better opening line
2: because it just sets the tone, and then you don't you think, think you just material. keep
4: going. You could if you, have blah, you blah blah to... blah mm. for whatever. Clap mm. your hands. You could. If I you think. Da da da. Mm.
2: One quick If you, you like little top.
4: girls and granimals, clap your hands.
2: <laughs> <laughs> You're you, running it now. Get the fuck back on stage. The Justified Comedy Tour. Who wouldn't go
1: to that? There you go.
2: A CK and Oliphant performing. Yeah. Menor- Let me
4: know next time you go up. I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can get on the opening bill. i give you one sure. and a half
2: minutes. Justi- <laughs> just- Pure gold. Justified comes back uh, January 8th. And you should fucking watch it because it's a great show. Thank and um, that's it. Enjoy yeah. your burrito, everyone. I appreciate it. Thanks for having Thanks, me. Thanks, man. Thanks.
0: Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of
2: the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Stamps.com. Go to Stamps.com, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Nerdist for a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and $55 of free postage. That's Stamps.com. Enter the promo code Nerdist.
0: I'm Shimol and I have a new podcast called The Competition.